Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to The Real Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Max Gershberg. A few months ago, I traveled with correspondent Mary Carrillo and another Real Sports producer, Hannah Vicente Cleot, down to a little rustic beach town on the shore of El Salvador called Alzonte. Alzonte is primarily known as a surfing hotspot where avid surfers flock each year to catch great waves. But we weren't there for the surfing. We went to Alzonte because that little rundown surf town has believe it or not, become the Bitcoin capital of the world. You've probably heard plenty in recent years about Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency that's taken the financial world by storm, generally skyrocketing in value and making a lot of people rich in the process. Bitcoin has long had its avid proponents and its harsh critics. Some believe it's a phony fad and others say it's the money of the future. But until now, even Bitcoin's most bullish believers had treated the cryptocurrency almost exclusively as a speculative investment that people could ride up and down like the stock market. That is, until a surfer in El Zonte hatched a plan to rebuild the town's economy around Bitcoin and reimagine how Bitcoin could be used in daily life. On this installment of the podcast, you'll hear the story of that project in El Zonte and how it spawned a historic but controversial movement, one that's forever changed the country of El Salvador and provided a critical test case for the financial world to gauge what Bitcoin's future might actually look like. After the story, we'll be joined by Kate Rooney, a tech reporter for CNBC who has covered Bitcoin extensively and will share with us her perspective on the history being made in El Salvador and what it may signal for the future. But first, here's Mary Carrillo's Real Sports Report. This is El Zonte. Hidden on the shore of El Salvador, it's a little-known town in a widely ignored country that's been left behind by prosperity and progress. But while El Zonte doesn't have much, it does have these, some of the greatest waves on Earth, which has made this quiet village a surfing mecca, attracting countless pilgrims each year from around the world. Now, those waves may have washed up something else, a financial revolution that some say could change the world. I think they'll look back at this as a a real turning point in history where a new monetary system was born. Mike Peterson first washed ashore in El Zonte not to make history, but for the same reason most anybody else did. I actually came here on a surf trip. After that, I was sold like El Salvador was the place to be. Outside the water, what were your impressions of this country? It was the first place where I really felt at home. Even amidst the the poverty and the crime and the other issues, there was something beautiful here. Peterson says he wanted to help El Zonte and its people get on their feet. So a few years ago, the surfer decided to help them catch a very different kind of wave. Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. 
the boom is happening. At the time, Bitcoin was the hottest thing going. An apparent magic financial pill that seemed to be turning regular folks into millionaires. Bitcoin just hit an all-time high moments ago. It was a new kind of money, a currency for the digital age. Unlike old world currencies, it existed not on paper, but only in cyberspace. And unlike old world currencies, it was trendy and cool. And its value was soaring day after day. It's more than doubled in the past month, and it's up about 40% for the first week of this year. I heard about Bitcoin early on. I was just super fascinated by it. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be neat if we could kind of bring Bitcoin into El Salvador? So Peterson launched a plan to transform El Zonte from a sleepy surf town into what he would call Bitcoin Beach. Buenas tardes a todos. Peterson assembled a team of local surfers, and together they began organizing classes to teach residents what Bitcoin was. They gave locals some free Bitcoin to get them started. They even got El Zonte a special ATM machine. Buy coins. Designed to take cash from people's wallets and turn it into Bitcoin. So that's how somebody wants to spend Bitcoin here and doesn't have Bitcoin can come and download it and load their phone up and go to town. But while Peterson was bullish on Bitcoin from the start, the people of El Zonte would take some convincing. When you first started going to the locals and telling them to use Bitcoin, did they look at you like you were crazy? You know, there was a lot of skeptics originally, but, you know, as time wore on, more and more they'd come to us. Even the people that were against it at first would say, hey, okay, I'm ready. Show me how to use this. The more locals bought into Bitcoin, and the more Bitcoin continued its incredible rise in value, the more the townspeople's wealth began to grow. And in a community that had always been cut off from the global economy, where most people had never had access to banks, something else began to grow here too. A new appreciation for saving and investing money. When they're saving in a money that historically has gone up in value, it makes them really question every purchase. Should I buy this extra, you know, little toy or should I save this, you know, $10 in Bitcoin because I think it'll be worth significantly more in the future. And so it's really reshaping the way people think about life here. Wow, so you are saying that Bitcoin has changed the sensibility, the mentality of its people in El Salvador? 100%. Today, the people of El Zonte buy and sell everyday goods and services not with old-fashioned money, but with Bitcoin. From the man cracking coconuts on the side of the road, to the woman selling shaved ice by the beach, to local shop owner and Bitcoin convert, Maria del Carmen Aviles. How many of your sales are Bitcoin sales? Ooh, the mayoría. Oh, most of them. Aviles says at first she was skeptical of the American surfer and his strange idea. But that was before she saw her Bitcoin investment spike, allowing her to upgrade her bodega and her bottom line. I have my refrigerator, which is from Bitcoin earnings. From 10 months ago until now, I have earned a lot. I have gotten a lot of good things. And some have hit even bigger with the Bitcoin jackpot, like Rosalina Valenzuela, a local restaurant owner who used her Bitcoin profits to buy herself a new set of wheels. I got a pickup truck. It sounds like you never had a car before. You never... No, nunca. No, never. Nunca. Never. 
Bitcoin Beach has now become the world's first economy built around a cryptocurrency. And word of the historic change has spread far and wide, beyond the borders of El Zonte, all the way to the presidential palace. When El Salvador's president, Nayib Bukele, saw what was happening in the little surf town, his administration began asking Mike Peterson for the secrets of his success. Then in June of last year, at a Bitcoin conference in Miami, the president made a historic announcement that would shock the financial world. Next week, I will send to Congress a bill that will make Bitcoin a legal tender in El Salvador. For the first time in history, a virtual currency would be used across an entire country to trade goods and services each and every day. Was this part of your vision from the outset? This was part of my hope, my dream, my let's swing for the fences. And I really expected maybe in 10 years we'd push it in this direction. I had no, you know, even aspirations that in two years' time we would see this type of change. Suddenly, every business in El Salvador, from gas stations to fast food chains to furniture stores, would be required to accept Bitcoin as currency. But while Mike Peterson was celebrating the new policy, much of the rest of the country had a very different reaction. I thought it was a joke. You thought it was a joke? Here in El Salvador, we are not playing Monopoly. We are living in the real economy. Ricardo Castaneda is an economist who is dismayed by the new Bitcoin policy. He says what makes Bitcoin appealing to its supporters is what also makes it terrifying. Many of Bitcoin's stunning rises in value have been followed by stomach-turning falls. Bitcoin getting hammered this morning. Cryptocurrencies plunging due to increasing levels of concern. Since the start of last year, this is the trajectory that Bitcoin's price has followed raising the prospect that the wealth of the Salvadoran government and each of its citizens could be gutted at a moment's notice. And in a country long plagued by poverty, Castaneda believes this sort of volatility could prove tragic. If you tell somebody that lives in poverty, bet with this, if they lose with that bet, they can die because don't have enough money to buy medicine. That is the reality. No and Castaneda isn't alone. Polls show that as much as 80% of the country opposes the new policy. In recent months, angry citizens took to the streets, even setting fire to a Bitcoin ATM. An outrage grew even greater when it was discovered that the president's plans to develop a government-sponsored Bitcoin app and install Bitcoin ATMs all across the country would come at a steep cost. 225.3 million dollars. Where is all that money coming from? It's public money. It's very symbolic because the same week the Congress approved this amount, cut resource for education and health. How much did they cut? Around $50 million. Bitcoin was a priority. Education and health wasn't. Bitcoin was imposed on us because the majority of the people weren't consulted at all. Hilda Gomez is a community leader 
in her village of Ojo de Agua, a poor rural town where residents say they were not only blindsided by the new Bitcoin law, but remain skeptical of the president's promise that Bitcoin, of all things, can change their lives. The president, Bukele, says that Bitcoin will help lift everybody up in this country. The benefits, he says, are being obtained with Bitcoin. You don't see the results in the communities. We see that there are so many needs. There's a lack of medicine. We see people who lack nutrition. And there's a lack of clinics and hospitals where investments could be made. Is this the best use of public funds? Yes, they need to improve and bring water to people, electricity to people. But you can't just do that out of thin air. You need business, you need income coming in. So I think the return on the amount that the government spent versus what comes in is going to be greater than anything else they could have done. One economist has compared Bitcoin to playing roulette in Las Vegas. Well, if they can point me to a roulette table where the more you play over years, the the value of your winnings go up like Bitcoin, I mean, I'd happily become a gambler in, in that system. But gambling on Bitcoin's volatile value isn't the only worry for critics of the new law. Because Bitcoin is not regulated by any government or bank, it is ripe for illegal activity. Real Sports spoke with international law enforcement agents who say that El Salvador, already plagued by gang violence, could now become a haven for criminals. El Salvador could be considered a paradise for money laundering. A paradise for money laundering. Yes. Your view is that a Bitcoin currency will make that even easier because it's hard to trace. El Salvador don't have the tools to identify if that money came from legal activities or illegal activities. That is a big problem. Whatever the potential problems, President Bukele is soaking up the Bitcoin spotlight branding himself as a modern financial revolutionary, holding extravagant events to loudly and proudly preach the promise of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is going to change the world. Sure that it will gain in value and deliver profits that can cure all that ails the Salvadoran people. Bukele is basically saying Bitcoin is going to be very profitable and all of that profit is going to go into everything that this country needs. You don't have hope for this Bitcoin economy? For the Bitcoin economy, no. I have hope when you invest in people. In that context, I have hope. In the context that is happening in El Salvador, I have fear. As for Mike Peterson, he is more than just hopeful. He's staking everything on the success of Bitcoin, even his own financial future. I have my retirement savings saved in Bitcoin, and and that's obviously worked out well. I definitely am a believer that why would I save in anything else? What do you say to people who think Mike Peterson is spreading the gospel of Bitcoin just to get rich himself? Bitcoin is something that just keeps growing and growing, and so it doesn't need my help. I think if people think that's my motivations, that's fine, but I I think it's just pretty laughable. Whether you think Peterson is a savior or just another guy looking to cash in, it's clear to see that his unlikely financial experiment has forever changed the little village 
he first came to surf years ago. This whole thing started by a group of surfers. And you know, the classical perception of surfer dudes is not that they're some kind of financial wizards. They're dudes on a beach looking for good waves. I think if you saw it in a movie, you would say, that could never happen in real life. And, and that's what I think makes it so great. You don't have to be people with a lot of power or position to really have an impact on a global scale. And I'm now joined by Kate Rooney. Kate is a tech reporter for CNBC who specializes in financial technology, which means she spent a whole lot of time thinking about and talking about cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. Kate, thanks so much for joining us. Of course, Max. Thanks for having me. So when did you first get wind of Bitcoin Beach? And what did you make of this experiment taking root in, of all places, a, a tiny town in El Salvador? So El Salvador's gotten a lot of buzz for its Bitcoin interest, mostly around making Bitcoin legal tender. And El Zante said that got a lot of attention as well as sort of a microcosm of what was going on in El Salvador. It does seem like an ideal place to try this. And it is very much an economic experiment. So I think people are looking at this, seeing if this works. For one, you're replacing cash, which is still really the go-to payment method. And the way of saving in a lot of places in Latin America and South America there's reports out there about 10% of the population in El Zante have a bank account. So it's hard to think of from a U.S. perspective, at least, where a lot of us you know, have access to banking. That makes it an ideal place to try this, where there's not a lot of other options. And a lot of people have smartphones, meanwhile. So they're, they have the smartphones, they have the infrastructure to be able to do this, and they're looking for an alternative, in some cases, to cash. So it seemed like, you know, it makes sense. It's also a tourist town. So it's a a way to fuel tourism there, and uh, what better way to you know, get wealthy international Bitcoin enthusiasts to visit a town? And I think this is really, as much as it is an economic experiment, it's just as much a way to, to drive tourism. And it's funny you mentioned that because it struck me while visiting El Zonte, this notion of Bitcoin tourism, right? We kept bumping into crypto enthusiasts who had come not to surf or do anything else, but pretty much solely to spend in Bitcoin, to engage with a Bitcoin economy. What does it say about Bitcoin's place in our society today that just the ability to spend it is a draw for tourists? It has really gotten this fan base worldwide. So, you know, people who invested in Bitcoin early, you know, have been optimistic about it. If it's worked out, they've probably made a ton of money. So you've got a young population that's very tech savvy, that's able to travel and wants to spend that Bitcoin and support other people in that community. So it really has become this global community where people are looking to support other people that are trying this. So that makes one of these communities and sort of startup communities really attractive to somebody who might be traveling the world wanting to do this. So last June, when you see Naib Bukele announced that El Salvador would make Bitcoin legal tender, what was your immediate reaction? I was surprised. You know, it felt like this was inevitable for a country to go this way, but it seemed like a big step. And based on, I've been covering cryptocurrency markets for the past four years or so, the idea of moving an entire country in that direction, A, seemed like an extremely heavy lift. You need a lot of infrastructure. And whether it's the wallets that they've implemented and making sure that merchants can accept this, my first question was, how is this actually going to work? And uh, since last June, they have taken a ton of steps and really started implementing it. But I was scratching my head, you know, wondering how this would actually 
go into effect at the time. But, you know, they've made a lot of progress and it seems like it has actually, in some senses, started to work so far. When I first heard about El Salvador's Bitcoin policy, admittedly, I thought it was a bit strange, right? I guess my assumption was something like that would roll out in Silicon Valley and not in an impoverished country where a lot of people don't even have running water. But as you noted earlier, proponents like Mike Peterson say, no, it's a logical place because it could provide financial inclusion. So this notion, Kate, of Bitcoin as a tool to lift up the poor, do you buy that? In a lot of ways, yeah. So one thing to focus on is remittance payments. So a big part of that country's GDP is family members sending money home or receiving money from other countries. So that is ridiculously expensive at this point. So the idea of needing to send, even if it's $100 to your family or receive $100, the fees can be upwards of 30% on something like that. So that has been, in terms of economic opportunity and saving money, that's been a big focus of the whole Bitcoin project is the idea of being able to instantly send money across borders for free. So that, in my mind, made a lot of sense. And I think it's one reason why it is being implemented in a lot a lot of uh, emerging economies. The other thing is is the cash idea. I think from a U.S. perspective, we it's hard to, to think of your, living your everyday life for a lot of us don't even carry a wallet with us and have our mobile phones. Moving payments online has taken off in Latin America. Aside from cryptocurrencies, they have sort of leapfrogged some of the traditional financial infrastructure and some of the banking infrastructure. So it made sense in my mind for that side of it. The thing that just did not make sense because the volatility for Bitcoin has been so extreme in the past you know, few years at least, but you'll see it jump by 20% a day. It'll fall by 20% in a day. So the idea of somebody using this for everyday payments, when, like you mentioned, they may be in a lower income bracket, you know, they may not be able to afford to lose 20 or 30% of their income in a day. It's kind of the core criticism against this policy, the inherent volatility. Even as we sit here recording today, Kate, Bitcoin, I think in the last five days has dropped something like 12%. So do you think Bitcoin is simply too volatile to be treated this way as an everyday form of currency? One of the other reasons that, that Bitcoin hasn't taken off is that um, it, you know, it might be cheaper, but it's also pretty slow in terms of a payment method. The actual network is slow, and uh, they have come up with certain ways to get around that. One of the other things is called spender's remorse. So the idea that people don't want to spend an asset that they think will appreciate in value over time. So if you maybe spent your Bitcoin five or 10 years ago on, you know, a shirt or a pair of shoes, and you think back to that moment and say, oh my God, that might've been at this point, a $10,000 shirt because of the appreciation in Bitcoin. So I think there's a lot of people who don't necessarily want to take the risk to spend that asset. So that's called spender's remorse. It's a reason why it hasn't taken off as a mainstream payment method. And then the volatility, I think, is just an open question. And there are people that say, you know, you look at U.S. stocks, actually, in the past couple of weeks, and, and stocks like Amazon are going up and down in value. And the long-term believers would say it's actually a way to build wealth. If you look at it over a five or 10-year horizon, it's been a great investment for a lot of people. But I think on the every, when people are living hand to mouth, if you're somebody who does not even have savings, you just can't afford to lose that amount of wealth in a single day or a single week. 
Another element of risk uh, where Bitcoin is concerned, and we referenced it in that story, is the criminal risk. Myself and my co-producer, Hannah, we spoke to federal law enforcement agents, and they said criminal actors around the world are already finding ways to exploit cryptocurrency for their gain. Could you explain for our listeners why and how cryptocurrency may be more vulnerable to this sort of criminal activity? Yeah, absolutely. And there's no doubt that cryptocurrency has drawn in criminals. It's the same as any early technology. People liken it to the early days of the internet, where it was used in a lot of senses for criminal activity. The same thing with Bitcoin. It really became famous for being used on the dark web. So it's it's inherent value when it was made was really for criminals because it's it's not necessarily anonymous. You can see where certain transactions are moving, but you can't see the name or the identity of the person who's moving money. So in that sense, it has been used historically for criminal activity. Cryptocurrency crime has been a big issue. Hacking has been a big issue. There's questions over if this puts El Salvador more at risk or certain citizens there, because now people know that this is really where the economy is going. It may put those Chivo wallets more at risk in terms of international crime ring saying, okay, well, we now know that this economy is moving in that direction and sort of puts a target on their back. But it has been a, a big issue. There's a, a firm called Chainalysis that does a lot of great work on this. And they looked at criminal activity last year with the rise of just Bitcoin adoption during the pandemic, which has been huge. They said that it actually, Bitcoin adoption overall outpaced the amount of criminal activity. So it's as it becomes more mainstream and more widely adopted, the criminal use case is actually falling. So the idea from a lot of you know analysts and people that are in the industry say that the more mainstream it gets, the more it's adopted as an everyday payment method, investment, the more that banks start using it, the less appealing it's going to be for, for the criminals out there. But it still is an issue and a reputational risk. People still think of Bitcoin as um, something that criminals are using in a lot of cases. One area of confusion I was hoping you could clear up for me, Kate. Bitcoin is supposed to be deregulated, free from government influence and manipulation. If a government like El Salvador's is nationalizing Bitcoin, creating a government wallet app for your phone and creating this framework for oversight, doesn't that serve to erode this idea of independence? Yes, (laughs) I think that has been a big question with the wallets that have been rolled out in El Salvador. So the backstory is that they they rolled out these Chivo wallets. They gave people an incentive to open one up. It's free to open up a wallet. You get $30 worth of Bitcoin in that wallet. And so there's the economic incentive to get involved and to have this wallet. But there's no proof so far that the government can't treat that as any sort of bank account and shut that down if there is some sort of issue. So I think that is the open question of, yes, this this network And this digital asset is supposed to be free from intervention. It's supposed to be apolitical. But if you have wallets that are issued by a government, that people have questions over that regime in general, and there has been tension between Nayib Bukele and the U.S. and the Biden administration, there are just questions over what they're going to use that for, security risks. And like, there's just no proof yet that this wallet is as safe as they may say. Maybe it is, but I think that's just an open question at this point. And just to clarify for our listeners who may not be familiar, in this context, a wallet is a phone application. In this case, that the Chivo wallet that the government of El Salvador created, and that sort of regulatory framework is a departure from how Bitcoin has been used and kind of stored in the past, right? Right, right. And so if you're a U.S. investor, for example, a lot of people hold Bitcoin on 
an app like Coinbase or an exchange, it's very rare that you would have a government-issued wallet to store Bitcoin. I think it's safe to say this is the first example that we've seen of something like this. The International Monetary Fund, the IMF, an organization El Salvador typically relies upon for loans, has come out very strongly against this Bitcoin policy. Uh, What's the significance of that? For a country like El Salvador, can they go at this alone or do they need to convince international banks and funds like the IMF to get on board? So it's so interesting. The IMF is so key to some of these developing markets. It's not an organization historically that you want to piss off. The IMF gives financial assistance. They give advice to member countries and things like loans. So it really has been a lifeline for growth of developing countries. They had been in negotiations over a roughly $1 billion financial aid package for the country. And part of that and part of the hangup and why that hasn't gone through is worries about Bitcoin being a national currency. They have said the price swings make it way too risky for consumers. They don't want it to be used as collateral for things like sovereign bonds. So the IMF is really raising the alarm here and saying, hey, we really don't recommend this. And it seems to be key to some of the negotiations um, on, on the more traditional financial markets in terms of them giving assistance to El Salvador. They're actually looking for ways around this. So talk about an economic experiment. They're building and trying to raise money for something that they're calling a Bitcoin bond. So it is not a traditional bond. It's a partnership with a company called Blockstream. Half of the money will be used to just buy Bitcoin, and the other half will be used for things like mining infrastructure and building a city really around Bitcoin. So this is a total experiment. It actually goes around the IMF and traditional banks, but a lot of people raising alarm bells for the entire idea of moving this economy that is already looking to be pretty fragile, especially after the pandemic, to an asset that is especially volatile and risky. As you just alluded to, the IMF objections aside, Bukele has been unwaveringly bullish on Bitcoin. He's been imploring the people of his country to repeatedly buy the dip whenever Bitcoin goes down in price. He's clearly, Kate, selling a dream to his people that Bitcoin will solve a lot of their problems. Um, In a country with so many problems, is that irresponsible in your mind? So his legacy really relies on this experiment working out. He's got to commit to this. He's already gone far enough to make it legal tender and spent millions of dollars making sure that merchants in the country accept it. He's betting his career on this. So it makes sense in my mind that he would not back off at this point. He's got to be an unrelenting optimist And you've seen that in the space for a long time with a lot of the different CEOs. This is entirely new. It's different when you're steering a country with more than 6 million people in that direction. So in terms of the risk, undoubtedly, this is unproven. There's a lot of individuals here that don't support this. You've seen protests in the country around the idea of moving this to legal tender. There's people who don't understand it and, and don't support it inherently. He's now become somewhat of an international celebrity in Bitcoin and has become a champion of that community. So I think he's just got to commit to this. And if it works out, great. He's he's going to look pretty smart. So I think the stakes are extremely high. The risk, I mean, there's plenty of people calling out the risk. And there's also people that don't really want him as the face of the Bitcoin community in the face of this movement who say, of course, we support Bitcoin, but there are people who don't support Nayib Bukele and his regime and what's going on in El Salvador. And so I think there's a few people on the international stage who are conflicted who say we don't necessarily want him being the champion 
of this asset class. All right. So now I'm going to ask you to make some predictions. In El Salvador specifically, what will be the legacy of Bitcoin adoption five years, 10 years down the road? Oh, that's a great question. It depends on how this Bitcoin bond works out, first of all. I think that is a huge economic experiment that other emerging markets will look to and say, if that works out and you're able to raise money without the IMF, that could be a huge deal. And we could see that take off in other countries. So I think so big question, if that works in the next year or so, that may pave the way for what goes on in emerging markets you know, for the next five or 10 years. I am just, you know, I, it's hard to, to know how this is going to work. And I think a lot of it relies on the price of Bitcoin. If there are certain analysts we talked to who have a $200,000 price target on this asset, if it gets to that level, I mean, this country owns more than a thousand Bitcoin at this point. I think it's something like $70 million worth. That's a huge windfall for El Salvador. So if Bitcoin goes to a certain level, this country will have the resources and you know could end up becoming a bigger player on the global stage. I think it, it depends on how how it's all managed. I am I'm curious. You know, it just depends on the on the price, on the volatility. And uh, I think we will see other countries follow this. You know, if they're out of other options and see this taking off in El Salvador, I would guess that we're going to see other countries move in this direction. Well, you just took took the words right out of my mouth. That was my last question, which is who's next and what do you expect in terms of cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin, being used more widely as legalized tender in a bunch of countries around the world? Uh, emerging markets, I think it'll be smaller countries who have the same issues with remittances, who rely on tourism and see the effect of this, see it bringing in tourism and attention to the country. And then uh, there's other places like the Bahamas, like Puerto Rico, that have seen a lot of Bitcoin enthusiasts move there, maybe for tax reasons, but companies even redomiciling and trying to move there. So I would think the ones who have made a little bit of headway in the community, you know, the Bahamas, Puerto Rico, and uh, places like that may be the first to, to sort of follow here. But I think there's a lot of people watching this experiment, seeing how it works out. And uh, it'll be fascinating to, to watch the next year and few years. Absolutely. Well, one way or another, we'll, we'll be watching. And we thank you again, Kate, for joining us today and sharing some of your insight. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. And yeah, tons to, to watch in this space. So it's an exciting time to be a crypto reporter. And Mary Carrillo's Bitcoin story is just part of this month's new episode of Real Sports. Also on the show, John Frankel reports on a condition known as sledhead, a form of brain injury that's plaguing many Olympic athletes in the sliding sports of bobsled, skeleton, and luge, and that has over the years proven terrifying and deadly. Brian Gumble sits down with Brian Flores, the former Miami Dolphins head coach, who recently filed a civil suit against the NFL, alleging racial discrimination in their hiring practices. Despite landing a new job with the Steelers, Flores hasn't changed his views and is carrying forward his legal fight. And Soledad O'Brien updates her 2015 story about the tragic toll the opioid crisis has taken on otherwise healthy young athletes, a group that is actually plagued by this epidemic at an even higher rate than most. You can catch all those stories in all recent episodes of Real Sports with Brian Gumbel on HBO Max. I'm your host, Max Gershberg. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next time.